0: Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au G'day, how are we doing? Good. It's good to be here physically, and if you're watching online, again, a special welcome to you as well. Actually, before we do start, just uh, one more announcement. Not that Braden was meant to announce this, we just thought. uh, It's very important that if you do come to church on a Sunday because of the 150 uh, caps and all that kind of stuff, we need to make sure that you register. Um, So just remember, moving into the next service and service after that, you do register just so we've got a rough idea how many people are here. Again, we want to make sure we're abiding to those guidelines, obviously with the kids upstairs and and here we're fine, no problems today at all. But just again, just a quick little reminder there. The other thing I want to do before we do start is actually just spend, and we did pray about this a a couple of weeks ago, I just want to spend a minute and I'm just going to, just in silence and then I'll, I'll, I'll pray. But just as Brayden already mentioned, everything that's happening around the world, in particular uh, Ukraine and Russia and all that kind of stuff, so maybe just in this, just a, a minute of silence and, and you can be praying in your own heart and mind and then I'll, I'll pray and then we will get started. So let's just bow our heads and spend some of that time now in silence. Most gracious Father, we come to you this morning. As Braden has already said, we come uh, privileged in many ways, blessed to be able to gather in a secure, safe place in a in a beautiful place in the world, Father. We thank you for that, Lord. Lord, but we do know, and even have experienced in our own lives, that this world is broken, Lord. That it's it's not quite right, and and while there's many good things and beautiful things, there's also much destruction and harm and even evil things, Lord. And so, Lord, we just want to pray right now uh, for the, the war that's happening over there, Ukraine and Russia. Lord, we ask and pray uh, for peace. Lord, for uh, the people who have been harmed and hurt and killed. Lord, it's, it's devastating, Lord. And so we, we pray because we know this is something you would want us to pray. That, Lord, that that war would cease that the evil, the devastation would stop, Lord. And Lord, it's not just there, we know that this is happening in many places throughout the world. And so we ask that there would be peace, Father. Lord, ultimately we know that will come when you return. And we believe as followers of Jesus that you will return one day and you will restore everything that has been broken and damaged. And we look forward to that time, Lord. We even think of, uh, even in our own country last week, with all these ongoing floods and the devastation and, and suffering that's happening there, Father. We pray that you would bring rep- uh, a rest there, that the, the rain would stop, the water would stop, Lord, and, and no more damage. And uh, people will give generously to be able to help restore their lives as well, Father. But Father, we ask that you'd help us in the midst of all this brokenness, to reflect you. Like Philippians says that we live in a crooked and deprived generation, a dark generation. Our role is to reflect you, is to shine like stars. Help us to do that, Father. Help us to hold on to your promises, to reflect you in all things that we do. We ask this, we pray this, because we believe this is something, again, that you would want us to pray. And We pray it in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Steve, a bit early on the amen then, but it was nice and loud, I appreciate it. I want to start by reading uh, two stories, actually, uh, incredible stories of incredible disciples, uh, incredible followers, faithful people who, who decided to follow Jesus, who said yes to Jesus, who are disciples of Jesus. The first individual is this lady up here on the screen. This is a lady by the name of Amy Carmichael, I'm just going to read a bit of her story Amy Carmichael was born in Ireland in 1867. Anyone else born in Ireland? Hands up, let me know, no, no. I thought we might have had one Irish person, no. Uh, She was born in Ireland in 1867. She was the eldest of seven children. Uh, As a teen, she attended Wesleyan Methodist Girls Boarding School. uh, And in that school, she found faith. She became a Christian. At the age of 18, her father died. Now, Carmichael, who again was a Christian... Uh, baptized and, and, and had this incredible love for Jesus, about the same time that her father passed away, felt a call to the mission of Jesus, mission work, in the sense of going to another country and telling people about Jesus. However, she felt quite nervous and unsettled about this because she was afraid or she didn't want to leave her mother on her own. After hearing Hudson Taylor, I don't know if you know the name Hudson Taylor, great missionary, uh, the desire grew strong, that it hurt. She said it hurt, this desire to go to another country to tell people about Jesus. And as she prayed about it, she also wrote down the reason she thought that it could not be God's intention of her life. She kind of did a pros and cons list. One of the things, again, was her own sickness, her own health, but also her mum. Yet as she was praying, she heard the Lord speak audibly, as if He was standing in the room, and this is what she heard, go. Go. She replied back, Surely, Lord, you don't mean me. Again, the voice said, Go. Go. After writing uh, to her mother, she wasn't living with her mother at the time, about the desire that the Lord had placed on her heart, uh, she surrendered herself fully to the Lord's plan. She questioned whether she would really leave her mum all alone. Amy's mother wrote back, no internet, no Facebook in those days, good old fashioned letter post. Amy's never wrote back saying that the Lord had already spoken to her in a dream and that it was okay for Amy to go. In fact, Amy, you must go. Looking at serving in China, she looked at China, she went to Japan for a year, but eventually she ended up in India. The uh, Irish Christian missionary opened up as she went to India, she eventually opened up an orphanage and founded a mission to the Tamil Nadal, in, uh, which is a town's southern tip of india here's a picture of her in in that area Carmichael 's work was with girls and you can read about this on the internet this is is incredible the work that she did and heartbreaking as well uh, Carmichael 's work was with girls and young women, uh, some of whom were saved from customs that amounted to forced prostitution Hindu temple children were prime, uh, primary uh, were, were young girls who were dedicated to the gods of that temple, and they became, they were sexually abused, uh, even as young as, I, I don't want to go into it, but incredibly, these young girls, the devastation, orphans, and she saw this need, it broke her heart. Um, sometimes, the, again, forced in prostitution to earn money, which would pay the priests of those temples. Families often sold their children to the temples if they did not want them, especially girls, if they uh, needed extra money and fewer children to feed. Now, Carmichael's mission transformed over 1,000 children, rescued over 1,000 children who would otherwise face a bleak future. That is a lot of young girls, 1,000. Carmichael often said that her ministry of rescuing temple children started with a girl named Prenia. Having become a temple servant against her wishes, Prenia managed to escape. Amy Carmichael provided her shelter and withstood the threats of those who insisted that the girl be returned either to the temple directly to continue her sexual assignments or to her family for a more indirect return to the temple. When the children, these were the children that Carmichael looked after, were asked what drew them to Amy, the most often reply was it was love. Amma, which in Tamil meant mother, referring to Amy. Amma loved us. While serving in India, Carmichael received a letter from a young lady who was considering life as a missionary, and and the question was, what is missionary life like? This is what Carmichael wrote. Not necessarily encouraging, she wrote this, missionary life is simply a chance to die. Um, Thanks, (laughs) I'm looking forward to it. but That's what she wrote. In order to respect Indian cultures, members of Carmichael, as well as uh, Carmichael herself, uh, they wore Indian dress, so they took on the custom and the culture of the day. Jesus said, not Jesus, remember Paul says, I become all things, so I may, may be able to present the gospel. This is what she did. She took on uh, Indian dress, uh, gave the, the rescued uh, children Indian names. Carmichael also obviously wore the Indian clothes, but she would dye her skin with dark coffee to try to stain her skin so she uh, looked like one of the locals. Uh, and often travelled long distance on Indian's hot, dusty roads to save just one child from suffering. There's an incredible story, and I'd encourage you to get a chance, where she felt God also, unbeknown to her, young boys were also being sold at these temples for prostitution, and and she sensed that God was calling her to do the same, and didn't have the funds, and then miraculously, something like $10,000 arrived, and she set up another orphanage for young boys. Incredible stories, incredible prayer life as well. Uh, amy carmichael never married and she served in india for 55 years 55 years without furlough meaning without arrest basically without going home to rest she also wrote 35 books about the missionary work there carmichael died in india in 1951 at the age of 83 india outlawed uh, temple prostitution in 1949 A lot of the, obviously she wasn't the only one uh, trying to get that rule changed or that law changed, but she was instrumental in the outlawing of temple prostitution in 1949. Amy Carmichael's mission continues to this day, currently supporting approximately 500 rescued women on 400 acres with 16 nurseries and a hospital. What an incredible story, yeah? This lady, a disciple of Jesus... A follower of Jesus, prayed this simple prayer, God responds by go and, and just uses her. Use me Jesus, use me, I will follow, I will do what you've called me to do. We're going to go a little bit further back in time for this story, this is 200 AD, anyone alive around then? No? Okay, uh, the 200 AD, 200, after, 200 years after Jesus died, uh, we get uh, the early church, Christianity is spreading, uh, but not uh, to the, the favour of the Roman emperors of the day, uh, there's much persecution, Christians are being killed. Uh, this is the story of a, a young lady named Perpetua. Perpetua, here's a, an iPhone picture of her. Uh, Perpetua is famous in early Christianity, a famous Christian martyr who, along with her slave, she had a slave uh, by the name of Felicilus or Felicity, uh, who looked after her as well. The reason she was martyred is because she refused to renounce her faith, She refused to say that she wasn't a Christian. Uh, There's a scholar by the name of uh, I.M. Plant, he notes that a lot of the the early Christian martyr stories may be exaggerated and not necessarily true, Uh, but when it comes to this story, the martyrdom of Perpetua is generally taken to be an exception to this rule, as in there must be a lot of supporting evidence to the the, um, historical text that it was written in. Perpetua was a citizen of Carthage, Perpetua was arrested during a persecution of Christian, Uh, she was a baptised Christian and she was about the age of 23, uh, under the Roman Emperor of Servius, uh, who was a brutal emperor who was killing Christians left, right and centre. She was 22 at the time and she was nursing a baby, she just had a newborn baby and she was taken to prison, why was she taken to prison? Because she was a Christian, she was a disciple, she was a follower of Jesus Now, her father, a pagan uh, man and in good standing, so he had good standing with the authorities in in, in Carthage, begged her to renounce her faith, but she refused. These are the words of her dad. My daughter, have pity on my grey hair. Have pity on your father. If I am worthy to be called father by you, If with these hands I have raised you to this flower of youth, if I have preferred you to all your brothers, do not shame me among men. He's he's begging her, and this goes on, you can read these accounts, three or four times he goes and visits and begs her, do not, just renounce your faith. Petra writes, my father, because of his love for me, wanted me to change my mind and shake my resolve. He begged me, he begged me simply to deny that she was a Christian. And this was her response Listen to this response, when her dad, her father begged her, just say you're not a Christian, Perpetua, just say you're not a follower of Jesus. And this is what she said. She said, Father, do you see this vase? There was a vase over here. Do you see this vase here, Father? Uh, uh, He said, yes. Could it be called anything other than a vase? The father responded, no, it's a vase because it is a vase. Uh, and, And then this is what she said, well, neither can I be called anything other than what I am, a Christian. This is this. You wouldn't want to mess with Perpetua. She is she is the real deal. Anyway, it came to the point where she was. She wouldn't renounce her faith. And on a day trial, comes she and another female prisoner that was Felicity, her her slave, and there were three other men uh, with really cool names. Uh, and they were taken to the amphitheater where they would be what? They would be martyred. They would release animals. Uh, things didn't go precisely as were planned. Perpetua was let out with the other ones. As soon as Perpetua was let out, a wild cow uh, threw her to the ground. So they had cows, jaguars, bears, all these animals to initially attack the Christians and people would come and watch this happening. Perpetua was let out, a wild cow threw her to the ground and tore her tunic listen to this, concerned that her dishevelled hair, so obviously when she got smashed down by this cow, her hair got thrown around, discerned that her dishevelled hair might indicate to the spectators that she was grieving, she wasn't grieving, this was a joyful moment, she asked for a pin to put her hair back in place, because she didn't want people to think that because her hair was messed up, she was grieving, no, this was joyful, she was going to be with the Lord, Satyrus, which was the other uh, Christian man, was mortally wounded by a leopard, but the other animals, a bear who would not leave his cage, and a wild boar who gored his own keeper did not attack them. And then it goes on like this, it says that after a short rest, obviously the crowd got a bit bored because the animals weren't doing what they were meant to be doing, which was killing the Christians. They started hissing and booing and encouraging the Roman guards to actually kill the remaining prisoners, and they lined them up. I don't know if you've... Almost like ISIS, they line them up, denounce your faith, we're going to kill you. Uh, but when Perpetua's turn come, came, so all the other guys were were executed with a side. The young executioner's blow to the to the midsection didn't uh, do the job; it only grazed her. Uh, he was nervous. He was. It was. I think it was maybe his first time in the job. And this is what Perpetua did. If you have a look again, that's an, a great iPhone picture. She reaches up. She takes the blade in her own hand and she guides it into her neck. As is to say, you can't take this from me. I, I give it up freely. Why? Because I'm a disciple of Jesus. Wow. And sometimes we get a little bit annoyed because, you know, Bible studies at 7.30 instead of 7.00. The account of her martyrdom spread through the Roman Empire, and again, what would normally happen—it had the opposite effect, didn't it? And people were fueled by this 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 courage, but also this devotion to follow Jesus, and many became Christians. This morning, we continue our series uh, looking at disciples. The reason I started with those two stories—one because I think they're really cool stories—but what was the other similarity about both of those stories? Really easy question: they were women. Ladies, two women of faith. Now, over this series, we've been looking at the disciples of Jesus, as in the 12 disciples. This morning, we're going to take a a broader look at beyond those 12 disciples, beyond those 12. Here's a diagram, and and this is very common, you can see this uh, anywhere on the internet, that kind of talks about the, the, the circles of Jesus' influence or disciples. You have Jesus there in the middle, and obviously you have the three, which were Peter, uh, James, and John. Uh, Jesus spent more time with them, instructing them. Then you have the other nine disciples. And then uh, you kind of have uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, a whole group of people, and then the 70. Remember when Jesus sends out the 70 disciples to share that the good news has arrived, if you remember that account? And then you have uh, other disciples who, who maybe be like the Samaritan woman, uh, Jesus has an encounter, she becomes a Christian, and then she goes off and, and tells Samaria about Jesus. And then you have the crowds and the multitudes that, that wanted a piece of Jesus, you know, the feeding of 5,000 and all that kind of stuff. So yes, there is the, the three and then the other nine, which are the, the, the disciples, the 12 disciples. But actually, there were more disciples than that, that were considered close to Jesus, friends of Jesus, followers of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to go outside those 12, in fact, in the coming weeks, we're going to look outside of some other disciples who weren't part of the, the 12 disciples, and we're going to look at two faithful female women disciples of Jesus. Incredibly faithful women disciples of Jesus. Now, we, we can say this and preach this and, and not think that it's a big deal that, that these were women or female or whatever, uh, but in the time or even some places that is still considered... You know, you don't. Women shouldn't be disciples, or, or, or all that kind of stuff. And well, it was International Women's Day last week, a Tuesday. So this is this is actually we timed it perfectly. Um, but Jesus was countercultural when it came to women. In the times of Jesus, Jesus, women were at a lower rung than men. Women weren't allowed to have property. Women uh, really, if they didn't have a husband, really struggled uh, to, financially. All that kind of stuff. Um, women were were not considered a reliable witness. If there was a, a crime, you couldn't the, their their account of the version of the story was not taken the same as a male. All these types of things. They weren't necessarily allowed to partake in certain religious activities. But Jesus is countercultural, and he actually raises the profile of women. And he says that women have been created in the image of God and, and women are equal amongst men and women... And he raises the profile. In fact, that really annoyed some of the religious people of the day. So much so, if you look at the, the story of Jesus, when Jesus is on the cross, the last disciples are females. They're all females waiting. And John was there. But females, it says uh, Mary and then there was another Mary and then I think there was three Marys there. But, but the, the last disciples to see Jesus on the cross were female the first disciples to see Jesus or to go to the tomb were what? Females, were women and so there's much to be learned when we look at these incredible two faithful female disciples and we're going to be looking this morning at Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha and Mary and Martha they are from Bethany You'll hear this as we read through the stories, Mary and Martha of Bethany. Bethany is about two, three miles from Jerusalem, and Mary and Martha are actually sisters, and they're actually sisters, and their brother is Lazarus. So Lazarus, Mary and Martha, sisters. So that that is the connection and understanding. Um, They're friends of Jesus. You're going to see as we read these three encounters, they're uh, friends with Jesus. And actually, both Mary and Martha are mentioned three times in the Gospel accounts, three times, And actually, they're mentioned together in all three times. Um, So Mary and Martha. Now, let's let's just talk about Mary because there's so many Marys. There's more Marys everywhere in the gospel. There's Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. There's Mary Magdalene. She's the one that Jesus had. Uh, There were seven demons and he cast out the seven demons. And she was Mary Magdalene because she was from the city of Magdala. And so they use that to differentiate from the other Marys. There was Mary, the mother of James, and Joseph, who was the wife of Clopius, so that's another Mary. There was another Mary from Rome, and and then there's Mary of Bethany. This is the one we're talking about. Mary had a lamb, there's just Mary's everywhere, but this is Mary of Bethany. Do we understand who we're talking about? Not Magdalene, not the mother of Jesus, not the mother of James and Joseph, but the sister of Lazarus, the sister of Martha. And so we're going to look at three stories, and we're going to get a beautiful picture, of what it means to follow Jesus. Remember, through this series, we're looking at disciples to, to apply to our own lives what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And we can learn and, and grow and apply things. The first story we look at comes from Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. And this is the, the classic story of Mary and Martha. Here it is up on the screen. Story one. As Jesus actually just uh, talked about the Good Samaritan, and then we, we read this next encounter. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him, as well as his disciples. There's 12, 13 people there, maybe more. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had had to be made. So, Jesus brings his crew around, they stop at Mary and Martha's house, Lazarus is probably there as well, there's food to be eaten, what is Martha doing? She's doing what any good uh, female of the time would do, show hospitality, that was part of their, their culture again, to serve and show hospitality, she's doing all the right things uh, and she's running around like a chick without a head, that's what the Greek literally says, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. What's her sister doing? Sisters at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. She came to him. So this is now Martha, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. I don't know if you, again, if you have kids, you you may have heard something similar. Your kids may do the things. Uh, Generally, the other child's not sitting at the feet of Jesus. The other child is probably on PlayStation or watching TV, uh, but in this case, the, the sister was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Look at Jesus's response. Jesus's response is quite interesting. He rebukes Martha gently. We see that by the fact that he says her name twice, Martha, Martha. There is a gentle rebuke here. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, "You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed." Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You may have heard this story, and if you've been in church circles or a Christian for a while, you would have known this story. Are you a Mary, which means you like to sit with Jesus? Are you a Martha, which means you're a server or a doing type of person? Um, But there's a lot going on in this one story, and there's a lot that we can look at in regards to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. The first little thing here I think that's really interesting is, And a key word there, it says that that, uh, Martha was distracted, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations. I think sometimes, this isn't the main point about it, but I think it's worth stating, that we can be distracted, we can be so busy that we can be even doing good things. She's probably doing a really good thing helping and putting food for Jesus and His disciples, but we can be so distracted doing and working that we actually miss an encounter with Jesus, that we actually miss that Jesus is actually going to do something in our midst. We miss that opportunity because we're so distracted. Um, And and the other thing I note, before we get into our main point, is uh, Mary is silent here. Martha goes to Mary, uh, Martha goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, she's not helping, and, and, and Mary says nothing. Mary doesn't defend herself. Mary doesn't say, come on, I unloaded the dishwasher earlier. She says none of that. She just sits at the feet of Jesus. Really important thing to note here, culturally what's going on. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and while she's doing that, the very act of doing that is actually the position of a disciple. When you're listening to a disciple, sorry, a rabbi teach. Jesus was a rabbi, rabbi Jesus. You would come; the the disciples would sit, and they would sit at basically at the feet, and and the rabbi would start to share and teach using parables and stories in the Old Testament. So she's taking or assuming the position of a disciple here. The other problem is she's a what? She's a lady. She's a female, which again, generally, they were not disciples females were allowed to come occasionally if there was a guest speaker or something, but, but they wouldn't, uh, I think Peter mentioned a, a disciple coming or getting the dust of the rabbi on you, that, that wouldn't be their role, their role wasn't to get the dust of the rabbi, they're off doing other things. But here, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, she's assuming the position of a disciple, a culture where women were not allowed to receive formal teaching from a rabbi. Jesus doesn't rebuke it, Jesus allows it. In fact, he doesn't even allow it. He encourages it. He celebrates it. He actually says, that is a better option. She has chosen better. She has chosen better. N.T. Wright, I don't know if you know who he is, a theologian, massive brain. Um, he just knows so much. But, but he, he makes an interesting note here. And it might sound like a bit of a contradictive note because... In the in the text it said that Martha says um, she's left me, she's making me do all the work by myself. But NT Wright makes an interesting note and he says, Maybe, maybe Martha may not have been complaining that Mary was not helping. Even though she said it, maybe there was something underneath that that, that Martha wanted Jesus to, to know. That she was saying, hey. Uh, rather than complaining to Jesus that Mary isn't helping, uh, she's saying, Jesus, Martha doesn't, Mary doesn't belong there. She, she can't be a disciple. She's a, she's a woman. Jesus, she's, she's female. Jesus, she's sitting at you. She's, it's like uh, we would go to school and open our laptops and ready to listen to the lecturer. She's assumed that position. She's not allowed to do that. Jesus, you need to stop her. Jesus, she's bringing shame on me and my name and my household. Jesus, she's bringing shame on herself. Jesus, she's bringing shame on you. You're allowing her to do this. Question, could it be that both Mary and Martha are actually doing the right thing? I don't know what you think of what N.T. Wright thinks, but I think there's some merit there. But could Mary and Martha actually both be doing the right thing? Okay, Martha's a little bit stressed and, and did say she's distracted. Uh, Martha is, is serving and Mary is, is worshipping. Martha is showing hospitality. I know, again, she's stressed, and, 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 but the issue here is not so much the task. The issue here is more the attitude, The issue here is Martha complains. Martha says to Jesus, come on. Mary shouldn't be doing that. She should be doing what I do. I notice that a lot. In my own life, but also in in pastoral ministry for 20 years, sometimes when we serve and we serve and we serve, and that's our main access to our relationship with Jesus, our our relationship is based through serving. When we see other people who aren't doing that, we don't know their, their lives, but we think, why aren't they doing what I'm doing? Jesus, look what I'm doing. Now you've just brought discredit onto actually what you are doing. Don't complain. And maybe both Mary and Martha doing ministry, uh, she was distracted, but, but, but she forgot who she was serving. It wasn't just about serving, she actually forgot who she was serving. Look at the words of Jesus here in uh, John 15, you may know this passage as well. Jesus makes uh, basically similar, similar to this story. Uh, he says this, this is the words of Jesus, "'I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit.'" While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so it'll uh, be even more fruit, produce even more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Here's a key bit, remain in me, some translations say abide and stay connected. Uh, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me." Now, when, when the Bible or Scripture says something once, you, take, you pay attention, but when it says it 58 times in three verses, you, you really pay attention. Can you, you get what I'm saying? Jesus is saying, this is important, and He goes on and says it again, in case you're dumb, let me make it even clearer. Jesus is divine, remember? Where to connect and stay connected or abide, remain in Him. And then He says this, surely Jesus is kidding. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus, come on, nothing. Seriously. He's saying right there, apart from me, if you're not remaining in me, you can do nothing. Jesus, come on. Have you seen how good I am at this and how good I'm that? Have you seen me on a skateboard? I can do lots of things great. Jesus is He's not saying that you can't do good things in that. He's saying they're of no value. The only good things that really matter is if you remain in Me. Apart from Me, you can do nothing. And he goes on again and again. And he just says the same thing: if you do not remain in Me, you're like a branch that is full. That's a scary one. We won't finish reading that. But you get the point, don't you? Jesus is saying it's not just yes. Activity is important. Serving what Martha was doing is important. But actually, it's all about me look at the words of bock here a theologian he says we find mary and i love this we find mary seated at the feet of jesus the position of a disciple listening to every word now here is the thing we're trying to learn to be disciples from the disciples and what did bock just say was the position of a disciple Where do we need to be if we want to what position do we assume if we're a disciple? Feet. I'm going to give you three key words today. They all begin with the letter F. The first one is feet. Turn to the person next to you and say, feet. It's hard when you've got a lisp like me, but feet. Feet. We find Mary seated at the feet of Jesus, the position of the disciple. Here's the point right here: we're to spend time at the feet of Jesus. Disciples spend time at the feet of Jesus. We spend time at the feet of Jesus every single day. What is the position of a disciple? At the feet of Jesus. Staying connected to the vine, remaining in the vine. Like Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. It's not to say that we don't serve. It's not to say that we don't do the things that Mary Carmichael, uh, Amy Carmichael, yes, we do that, but that comes out of our sitting at the feet of Jesus, Otherwise, it's not good fruit. Otherwise, it's nothing, Jesus would say. So the the first point we can learn from the Mary and Martha is spend time at the feet, uh, feet of Jesus. This is the key image, the key lesson of this story is the disciple, if you're a disciple, obviously disciple means we follow, we listen and learn, we take that position, we focus and sit at the feet of Jesus. The focus of this encounter is saying that serving at the expense of listening to or sitting with Jesus, is not a good choice. Not that service is bad, but if it's at the expense of sitting at the feet of Jesus, Jesus says, she is, but she's made a better choice. Mary has made a better choice. A Weisberg, another commentator, says that we need to take time to be holy which means we sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, we could spend a whole another sermon talking about what does it mean to sit at the feet of Jesus? Well, you guys can work that out. How do we stay close to Jesus? How do we connect to Jesus? But sitting at the feet of Jesus, I think the, the importance of that is the posture. The posture is important because when you sit at the, the, the feet of someone and you sit at the feet of Jesus, your posture has to change, doesn't it? You're surrendering yourself. You have a surrendering posture. That time, that context, that culture, meaning uh, you were learning, ready to learn. It's a learning posture, it's a listening posture. So when we sit at the feet of Jesus, we're surrendering, we're listening, and we're learning. Here's the challenge Do we need to sit? Do you need to sit at the feet of Jesus more? Do you need to surrender? Do you need to listen? Do you need to take the posture of learning? Second story. Let's jump to John, chapter 11, uh, verse 17. Who's having fun? Yeah. It's awesome, Steve. I can rely on Steve. It's beautiful. I love it. This is another. Second story. First story is feet. Disciple, we sit at the feet of Jesus. Second one, you know this story as well. Look at background here. Lazarus. So now Lazarus, remember Mary, Martha, sisters of Lazarus. Lazarus was sick, very sick. Mary and Martha said to Jesus, Jesus, you need to come back and heal uh, heal Lazarus. Jesus was doing ministry and basically says he can wait. What happened to Lazarus? He died. So Lazarus, who Jesus is a very good friend of, actually dies. Now Jesus, he's dead already. Jesus decides to rock up. Look what it says in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So he's clearly dead. If you've been in the tomb for four days four days is dead that's what the author is saying not kind of dead not maybe dead four days dead uh, bethany was less than two miles from jerusalem and many jews had come uh, to martha and mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother when martha heard that jesus was coming she went out to meet him but mary stayed at home so Mar- martha runs out to meet jesus she approaches jesus and look what she says lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So we see incredible faith here by Martha, don't we? Because she's saying, Jesus, if you were here, he, you would have healed him and he wouldn't have died. And, but even, even now, Jesus, I know that, that you, you, you ask God and, and anything can happen. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha knows the scriptures as well, had had obviously listened to the teachings of Jesus, because she responds and she answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then these beautiful words, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So the same thing, Jesus says the same thing twice. Somewhat... um, confusing but he's saying the same thing twice let me read it i'm the resurrection and life he who believes in me if you believe in me you will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die and then he says this do you believe this he says i am the resurrection martha i am the resurrection the resurrection can happen now martha i am the one that brings life martha do you believe this do you believe this? Look at Martha's response. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So this was an invitation here. Jesus gives Martha an invitation, a personal invitation. Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the Son of God who was to come into the world. One minute they were talking about Lazarus and him dying and how he could, be, he could come back to life. But now it's about Martha. And what did Martha say? I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. The first F was to is feet, sit at the feet of Jesus. The second F uh, we can learn from Mary and Martha in following Jesus is faith. Turn to the person next to you and say faith. Following Jesus means faith in Jesus. Following Jesus means faith in Jesus. We get this example this time from Martha not Mary, we'll we'll see that Mary has faith a little bit later, but right here it's Martha. Martha was the one that got gently rebuked in the first story, but here we see an incredible demonstration of faith by this incredible woman disciple of Jesus. She says, yes, I believe. To follow Jesus means to have faith in Jesus. Follow Jesus doesn't mean you just come to church. Follow Jesus doesn't mean you don't just swear. Follow Jesus doesn't mean uh, you go for the West Coast Eagles. That doesn't mean that stuff. It means more than that. It means what? Faith in Jesus. It means to trust, to step out, to believe. And again, you could, we could spend a whole time breaking down what the word faith means, but you know, it means to put your life to trust Jesus, to have faith in Jesus. Now, you may have said yes to Jesus once, and that's all you need. Have faith in Jesus, but having faith in Jesus is also a daily faith in Jesus. In those Lazarus moments, In those Lazarus moments, do you have faith in Jesus? What's a Lazarus moment? Well, we just read the story. probably doesn't get worse than a Lazarus moment, really, does it? When when your brother is dead. But we all have Lazarus moments, don't we? When we have a Lazarus moment, where do we put our faith? Martha puts it in Jesus. And maybe it doesn't even have to be as an extreme as a Lazarus moment. It can be just a average moment, where do we put our faith? But in those Lazarus Lazarus moments, do you have faith in Jesus? Following Jesus means faith in Jesus. I was reading this interesting little illustration, and it explains it really well. Imagine that you're out on a lake, Bibra Lake, and it's got water in it. The lake is. And there's two boats, two kind of rowboats, and you've got one foot in one rowboat and another foot in another rowboat. Must be small rowboats for me. But anyway, they're there. Imagine yourself in the lake, two rowboats, one foot in one, one foot in the other. One rowboat has holes in it, lots of holes. The other rowboat has no holes. This rowboat has lots and lots of holes and starts to take on water, doesn't it? And you start, eventually, what will happen to that rowboat? It'll sink. Now, because you've got one feet in each boat, e- even though you've got your foot in this boat, what will eventually happen to you? You'll sink as well. And so so the, the, the world or the things that we, we think we can control or or when we, we don't have faith in Jesus is like this rowboat that rowboat that has holes in it. It'll eventually sink. But if we have a foot in each boat, we will sink as well. To have faith in Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus means to have faith in Jesus means to take our foot out of that rowboat and put it in this rowboat and watch that one sink. Faith Or following Jesus means faith in Jesus. Are there areas of your life where you have one foot in either boat? Man, I know there's areas in my life, more feet than boats almost, where where, where I'm putting my feet in these boats that have holes in them. Jesus says, no, come on, get your feet out of there and put your feet fully in my boat. To be a follower of Jesus means faith in Jesus. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Feet, faith, and let's finish this one off. The last story, John chapter 12. Haven't preached in a while. You forget how long I preach for, don't you? We're on the home stretch team. We're almost there. John chapter 12. Let's get into a great last story to finish with. Uh, This is, again, not long after Lazarus. Oh, sorry, the rest of the Lazarus story. Oh, let me finish the rest of the Lazarus story. Have we read that? Uh, after she had had this, she went back, so uh, Martha went back, she called her sister Mary aside, the teacher is here, she said, and asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly, so this is Mary, went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him, so outside of the village. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly uh, she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there i think this is really interesting when mary reached the place where she uh where, where jesus was and saw him she fell at his what second time mary is mentioned where is she at the feet of jesus first time she's at the feet of jesus second time she's at the feet of jesus how many toes do you, she she's at the feet of jesus and said, Lord, what did you say? The same thing. So there is this faith there as well. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved, a spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come. Anyway, the rest of the story goes that then he goes and he says, Lazarus, get up. Lazarus wakes up and it doesn't smell great, but he wakes up and he comes out and, and he's back to life. Incredible story. So feet, faith. And let's finish this third story, John chapter 12, uh, verse 1 to 8. Again, both Mary and Martha. Now, look at the contrast here. A similar story, but a different story. Verse 1, six days before the Passover. Six days before Jesus would be crucified. This is six days before Jesus would die. Jesus arrived at Bethany's, where Lazarus lived. So that must have been the place you'd go if you wanted a good feed, uh, uh, whom Jesus had raised from the dead here a dinner was given in Jesus honor look what martha's doing martha served while lazy lazarus and among was among the others reclining at the table with jesus what is martha doing serving she's doing what she's good at she doesn't complain this time she's in the, she's serving she's showing hospitality to the people that are there, you'll see that she doesn't complain, someone else does, but not Martha. Maybe, I don't know, the text doesn't say whether she took on that gentle rebuke from Jesus. But she does what she does good, and that is show hospitality. Martha served while Lazarus and among the others were reclining at the table. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. A pint was about half a litre, 500 mils, that's a lot. Half a litre is a lot, eh, of anything. Water, if I was to pour that on Michael here, he would, he would know that it was on him. Um, and, and nard is an expensive perfume. Expensive perfume. This isn't, you know, a perfume that you buy from Wizard Pharmacy or anything. This is, this is the good, real deal perfume. Mary took a half a litre of beautiful and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus. There it is again, Jesus' feet, "...and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot..." So this is the person who now complains at this incredible act of worship by Mary. Not Martha, but Judas. "...but one of the other disciples, Judas, who was later to betray him..." So this is all hindsight. Obviously, the, the, um, the person writing knows that this had happened. Uh, "...objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold?" and the money given to the poor. It was worth a year's wage, which it was. Very expensive. He did not say this, as in Judas didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Um, And so Judas was stealing from the money bag. Here's another little side note for free. Sometimes people on the outside, like Judas wow he's a good disciple he's the one that looks after the money bag while on the outside they may look very good the inside is rotten and even the things they say wow what a beautiful thing to say yes that should be used for for the poor but actually their motive isn't to use it for the poor the motive was actually so that he could get a piece of it just a side note there and again what does Jesus do this time it's not a gentle rebuke leave her alone Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, and you will not always have me. Quickly there, Jesus isn't saying you don't look after the poor. Okay, He's not saying that. Uh, We are to look after the poor. We're called to look after the poor. Uh, Jesus is also making a really incredible theological insight there, um, because he does know all things, But in a week's time, he would be also covered in what? Perfume, because he would be dead, buried in a tomb. And this was a sign of of what is to come. So we've had faith, the feet, we've had faith. And the last one, actually, I won't give it to you right away. Uh, It starts with F. Don't guess what it is. Uh, Chuck, Chuck Swindle, has anyone heard of Chuck Swindle? Oh, he's well known, great preacher. He's got a few commentaries and he writes some really interesting stuff. He makes some really cool notes about this last story and what Mary was doing. Now, we've already talked about how she was violating some cultural norms. The first cultural norm, again, we've already saw this in the first story, uh, she, she was actually meant to be serving because she was a woman, a female, helping in the kitchen. She wasn't there to learn, okay? But again, we see her at where? The feet of Jesus, assuming the posture of a disciple. The second thing that she does that is breaking cultural norm is this. She's touching another person's feet, which again, I think in any culture, that's a a huge no-no. Just don't touch my feet. Don't touch anyone else's feet. (laughs) Feet are disgusting. But touching another person's feet was considered degrading, obviously. I think that's still today. Um, Even more than that, what is she doing? A woman, she's touching it with her hair. Again, a woman's hair in that culture was considered kind of like a crown of glory and she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. How degrading. She shouldn't be down there anyway because that's the position of a disciple. She's touching someone's feet, degrading. She's using her crown of glory, degrading. A woman on top of that should never actually unravel their hair or not let, what do you call it? let their hair down is that how you'd say it? that women should not let their hair down in public what is she doing she's using her hair to wipe jesus's feet and finally he says this he says there's a high chance that the perfume uh she had was a, was a treasure to keep uh, or was a treasure to be kept by a woman for their dowry that she would use to entice a husband that they would that the husband would get for marrying her Again, it was expensive and she emptied all of her dowry on Jesus' feet and her act of worship leaves her without this dowry. How long she'd been collecting it or what, how she got it, we don't know but now she doesn't have that. Jesus is going to die and leave. what's she going to do now when a good looking chap comes along? She's got nothing. We, again, we don't understand the context but it's really important. It leaves her uh, in a position of uh, vulnerability not to have that dowry, less chance of being chosen by someone to marry her. So all of this is happening in this story. I suppose the key word we could use is she's showing incredible devotion to Jesus. But the third F word is this, fragrance. Turn to the person next to you and say fragrance. So we have feet, we have faith, and we have fragrance. And here it is, may the fragrance of our life and worship Witness to our love of Jesus. We see this in, in Mary, don't we? Her life, the fragrance that she put is a witness of her life and a devotion to Jesus. A witness to her love of Jesus. Now you might think this is just a little oh you know, cool little metaphor. Oh yeah, fragrance and be a witness, and because you know we had a witness with our words, we had a witness with our actions. But I think it's a little bit deeper than that. There's something about smell, isn't there? Smell embodies a room, whether it's good or bad. You know, if you're sitting next to someone, they have bad deodor, a bad body odor. It's hard, isn't it? You feel uncomfortable. You don't want to be there. Or if it's a really nice smell, it's, it's Oh, that's really soothing, or or, or nice, or it makes you hungry. Uh, smells remind you of memories, don't they? So if I smell my mum's spaghetti, I'm like, whoa! I know. I, picture myself sitting at the table and the meatballs and all that stuff. Oh, I'm feeling hungry now. But, but smells are like that, aren't they? And so, so there's something here about the fragrance, good smells, bad smells. Look what 2 Corinthians 2.15 says. Uh, these are the words of Paul. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Where to bring this aroma of Christ This fragrance, our life and our witness, our worship should be a a fresh fragrance to those around us. Not a pongy body odour. It should be a fresh fragrance. Things that are good. A home-cooked meal. You know when you come home after a hard day and you smell a home-cooked meal? It makes you feel good, doesn't it? Or the smell of fresh rain. Who likes the smell of fresh rain? Coffee being roasted, anyone? There's all these smells, and, and, and we are our fragrance, the way we live our lives. People should go, oh, wow, it smells good. It smells good. Just like Amy Carmichael, uh, Mama, a mama, love, she loves us. There's that fragrance there. Let me finish. I'll ask the band to come up, and, and we'll wrap this up with this one last story. I was visiting a person uh, recently who is in jail, and I was having this conversation with them. And they were sharing with me how they had, they met a Christian person and the fragrance of their life and worship was a witness to their love of Jesus. One of the chaplains in, in that uh, prison had, had been meeting with this individual, met him two or three times. And the way this guy was sharing about the chaplain, I was thinking, man, that chaplain's got a fresh fragrance. His fragrance is, is demonstrating the love of Jesus. He's like, you should hear the way he prays. You should hear the way he, he, the things that he shares with me, the way he listens to me. He just gets it. He gets it. He doesn't judge me, but he also speaks with. And, and I'm sitting there listening to him share about this person, this Christian. And I thought, man, the fragrance of the, this chaplain's life, the fragrance of this chaplain's worship, and, and, and witness to the love of Jesus. Our lives, our fragrance should do all of those things. Our fragrance of our life and worship should witness to our love of Jesus. Even if it means, culturally it looks degrading, like, like for um, Mary. She gave up things, but she wanted that to be a witness and a worship to her Lord Jesus. Feet, faith, and fragrance. Three things we can learn off Mary and Martha. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. Take the time to sit at the feet of Jesus not all just about serving serving is important but not at the expense of spending time with jesus faith to be a follower of jesus means to have faith in jesus can't have a foot in each boat to be a follower of jesus you have to have faith in jesus and fragrance the fragrance of our life and our worship should demonstrate our love for jesus yeah how about we stand and i'll pray for us Let's pray. Most gracious Father, we thank you again for these these examples. Even uh, Amy Carmichael and Perpetua and, and Mary and Martha, Lord. Again, not perfect people at all, but disciples, these incredible women, disciples of you, followers of you, Jesus. Thank you that we can learn from them. Thank you that you teach them, but then through that you teach us. Jesus, we want to be disciples who follow you. We want to be disciples who sit at your feet, who take the posture of surrender, who take the posture of learning and listening. Father, we want to be disciples who have faith, who don't have a foot in both boats, but have both feet uh, solidly and and firmly in your boat. Because we want to follow you, which means we have faith in you. And Father, thirdly, may we be disciples where our fragrance our actions, our words, the way we carry ourselves, Our life and worship would be a witness to your, our love for you, individually and collectively as a church. We pray this, we believe this, we ask this in your name, Jesus, and everyone said, Amen.